Please open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, Galatians, oh sorry, chapter 6. We're in chapter 6, sorry, Galatians uh, chapter 6. Um, I'm going to read God's word. This morning we're going to focus on chapter 6, verses 1 down to verse 10. And then near the end I'm going to read uh, the conclusion of Galatians and just make two quick observations for you. Our focus this morning will be Galatians 6, verses 1 to 10. Let's read God's word, and then we'll pray. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load." Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we are aware that we come uh, this morning, some of us very encouraged in your word, very encouraged with our walk in you, and yet some of us so weak. And Lord, we pray for your strength this morning. Teach us. Here, may we be ready to listen as your people. May we live our lives out the glory of your name. In your precious name, I pray all these things. Amen. There's this verse, chapter 5, verse 16. It says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The call in the Scripture is that we as God's people will be those who live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, and are led by the Spirit. But there is this language that Christian people have. The language that Christian people have is what you would call Christianese. Christianese is the language that we have, that we speak, that not many people understand. It's our own kind of Christian language. 
Luana was talking about this the other day. When she gets to Brazil, she's going to have to share in Portuguese, and it's going to be difficult for her to speak in Portuguese in that kind of Christian language because she hasn't spoken in that kind of language before. We have this language. It's like Christianese. We, we use that language all the time. And we say phrases like this about the Spirit. The Spirit led me to do this, and the Spirit led me to do that. And the Spirit is leading me this direction, and the Spirit is leading me that direction. And it's kind of our Christianese language, but sometimes we actually don't know what that means. When we say the Spirit is leading me, what does that mean? Is it always in relation to our decisions? Is it right to say that the Spirit is leading me always biblically in relation to our decisions? When we see this phrase, led by the Spirit which we see in these verses in Galatians. You can see it in Galatians chapter 5, verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, that phrase, led by the Spirit, occurs four times in the Scriptures. Twice on the same occasion in Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4, talking about Jesus. And on that occasion, that one specific event, it is directional. Jesus was led by the Spirit in the world, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was led by the Spirit. It was directional. But when it comes to us as human beings, when we are led by the Spirit, God's people led by the Spirit, what does it talk about in the other two occasions? The other two occasions are Romans chapter 8 and here in Galatians 5. Led by the Spirit. And it is not in relation to our decision-making. To be led by the Spirit relates to our morality. Not, Lord, are you leading me to Spain or to Brazil? It relates to the morality of our life. If you are led by the Spirit, you are led not by the flesh, and you are led to the fruits of the Spirit. So to be led by the Spirit is not to live a life of idolatry, sexual immorality, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger. But to be led by the Spirit is to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is what it means to be led by the Spirit. It is not necessarily talking in the Scripture about the decisions that we make. Actually, the foundation that we are to have is to be led by the Spirit in that way that we would experience the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, love, joy, peace, gentleness. And then from the outflow of that, guess what happens? You start to make better decisions, don't you? Because you're led in that way by the Spirit. And so what Galatians chapter 6 is talking about is what the Spirit-led life looks like. Here's what Spirit-led people do. And the first thing that Spirit-led people do that you see in chapter 6 is this. Spirit-led people, they restore. This is what it's talking about. It's not the decisions in your life, should I do this or should I do that? Spirit-led people, they seek to restore. Brothers, he says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Spirit-led people, what do they do? They seek to restore people. 
And you'll notice there's a phrase in verse 1 that says, you who are spiritual. So you say to yourself, well, this is only for those who are spiritual. So what we do in our Christianese, we think, oh, there's those who are spiritual, so there are those who are spiritually elite, so if people are caught up in sin, I just wait for the spiritual elite people in the church to go to those people. So often what happens is, in the church, we see people who are caught in sin, and we sit back and we wait for the pastors to do it, the elders to do it, those who are quote-unquote spiritual to do it, the spiritual ones. But that's not what this is talking about. Everybody who has trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, everybody has the Holy Spirit living within them. Galatians chapter 4 says this, 4 verse 6. You can turn there if you want. Galatians 4 verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His sons into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So the moment you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is the moment you are called sons. And if you are called sons, then the Holy Spirit is in your heart, which means what? You, by definition, are spiritual. Not because of your own works, but because of what the Lord has done in your life. When it says those who are spiritual, it is those who are led by the Spirit to be walking in the fruits of the Spirit and not perfect people. So sometimes it is true that we as Christians, we will see others caught in sin. And we are not going to be perfect, are we? Of course we have our own sin. But what we are called to do here is to go to that person, approach that person, and with a spirit of gentleness, seek to have them restored. That's what we're called to do. And as we're doing that, we keep a watch over ourselves, that we would not be tempted ourselves away. It is amazing... Um, I had the opportunity to, opportunity, it's not really an opportunity, but um, I was involved in a church discipline process before. Not me, myself, but with, with someone else. And it was really hard and really difficult because the person hurt his family, the person hurt the church, and the person hurt other people. And what the temptation is when you see that person hurt a lot of people around, you want revenge. You want retaliation. You don't want restoration, humanly speaking. But the scripture calls us to the highest goal for every Christian. As you see someone else fall and stumble, you shouldn't be saying, I want them to pay. You should be saying, I want them restored. And on the final day, we leave all judgment of sin, we leave all judgment of sin up to the Lord. He is the righteous judge. It is our job and our calling as Christians to seek others to be restored. And that's the process of even church discipline in Matthew 18 where it says, you know, if someone has sinned against you, you go to them. 
You talk to them. And the goal isn't to tell them, hey, here's what you did to me. The goal is to actually seek that the person is restored and that the person gets forgiven of their sin. That is the highest goal, that they come and are restored and and are brought to Jesus. The highest goal is not that we seek to get them back. The highest goal is that they are restored. And so what do spirit-led people do? Spirit-led people seek to restore other people. The second thing spirit-led people do is they care. Look at verse two. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Spirit-led people, those who are led by the Spirit, care for other people. And how do they care for other people? It says in verse two, you bear one another's burdens. To bear is literally to pick up. You see other people's problems and you seek to pick them up. And we as Christians, we know of the Lord in our lives and the Lord is one who does what? He bears our burdens. Psalm 68 verse 19 says this, blessed be the Lord. Day after day he bears our burdens. God is our salvation. We praise the Lord because the Lord is the one who picks up our burdens. When you are weary, when you are laid down, when you are heavy burdened, with all the stresses and strains in life, who should you go to? You should go to the Lord. And what does the Lord do? Lord, He will pick The Lord, He will bear all your burdens. But what is the means that the Lord seeks to do that in our lives? How does the Lord actually practically pick up our burdens in our lives? He uses God's people to do it. Often when we see people have problems and burdens in life, we say, pray for you. I hope we do when we say pray for you. But is that all we do? That is one of the ways we can bear each other's burdens. But it is a very practical call, isn't it? When someone is struggling with something in their life, we would seek to bear each other's burdens. One of the ways I think we do that in the church, and I think we do that well in the church, is through the the groups that we have, the, the men and women's groups that we have. Often what happens, and it's really, really good to see. Someone has a burden, someone has a difficulty in the life, their life, they text the group, and then the group says, we're praying. That's really good. That is part of what it means to bear one another's burdens. And I would seek to encourage us to continually do that. But could we seek to take that a step further? Because what can happen is we can say, and it is good, I'm praying for you. And then we go on with our life. I've I've ticked that box, I'm praying for you, and I'm off with my own burdens and stresses and strains. But what if we were to take that one step further? Not only text the group and say to the person, I'm praying, I want to hold up your burdens, 
But what happens if we were to get in touch with that individual ourselves later on a few days after and say, I'm still praying for you. I'm still alongside you. I'm still with you. You are not alone. You're falling in the race. You're stumbling in the race. And I want to tell you this. I'm running with you. I'm going to pick you up and we're going to run together. That's what it means to bear one another's burdens. Maybe come a few days later and say, I'm with you. I'm still praying for you. And what happens if you didn't just do that in a text, but what happens if you took it another step further and sought to actually meet with that person and say to that person, face to face, I'm with you. You're not alone. I'm still here with you. I am going to help pick up this burden with you. And if you can practically help, some issues you can't practically help. Some issues, burdens, you're just there with them and you're saying, I'm here with you and I'm praying for you. That's all you can do. But other burdens, you can actually practically do something. I think that's what we're called to do in the Spirit-led life. We are not earning our salvation. I mean, if, if you believe this in these verses that, oh, if I, I bear someone's burdens, then I'm, I'm going to earn my way to heaven, then you go against everything Paul has been saying for the entire letter. You are not justified by your works. You're justified by faith alone in Christ alone. Now what he's telling us in this letter is what that actually looks like. He's been telling us in the last chapter, here's what living out your freedom looks like. He's been telling us in this chapter, here's what being spirit-led actually looks like. Bearing one another's burdens. And so in doing that, you're fulfilling not Old Testament law, but the law of Christ himself, the law of love. And then he says this really strange phrase that is connected to bearing one another's burdens. In verse 3, he says, for. That word for is like an explanation of what has happened before. He says these words, for if anyone thinks he is, he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And you think, how on earth is that linked to the verse before? We're called to bear one another's burdens because if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. What can happen in life is people are so prideful and so up themselves that they think they're above helping anybody else. If you think you are something, when you are nothing, you're deceiving yourself. You hear sometimes of um, pastors who say, you know, my job is only to teach. I just teach them. I say, you're not doing your job. Call to pastor and care. My job as a Christian is just to go to church with them. That's my job. No. Call to care for each other and bear one another's burdens. That's what the Spirit-led life looks like. Restore, care, and then the Spirit-led person, they boast. It says this in verse 4. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Verse 4 is a confusing verse. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast 
will be in his, himself alone and not in his neighbor. So we have a reason to boast in ourselves alone. That seems like so anti what Paul has been saying and so anti-scriptural because even later, if you turn later to his conclusion in Galatians chapter 6, it says Galatians 6, 14, verse 13, Galatians 6, verse 13, it says this about boasting. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to him and I too to the world. So what is Paul doing? He's giving out to them for their boast. And Paul is saying, I am going to boast in nothing except Christ and Him crucified. The only boast, the only thing I sing about, the only thing I praise about is the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done on the cross. He is my only boast. So let me let you in on something. There's songs used in this church. And the songs that we choose in this church, they are specific in orientation. What do they do? They look outward. We, we pick songs and choose songs that focus upon God, not upon ourselves, so that our only boast when we are singing is on God and the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done. He is our boast. So you're following in line with Paul. My only boast is the cross of Christ. To him I cling. He is my only boast. And then you look back at our verse. Well then, what does it mean? Is he contradicting himself when he says, but let each one test his own work? Then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Those are the two same words, boast and boast. So what does he mean? Well, when you look at the boasting of verse 4, it is different boasting. You look at the time of the boasting. In verse 4, try and stay with me. I know it's all over the place, but look at verse 4. The time of the boasting is this. His reason to boast will be, will be. So it's future. And verse 5, for each one will have to bear his own load. It is future. The time of the boasting is future, which tells us something about the place of the boasting. If the time of the boasting is future, then the place of the boasting will be at that time in heaven on judgment day. And on that day, you won't be able to declare what other people have done. The only thing that will stand for you on that day is what you have done and not what other people have done. For each person on that day will have to bear their own load, will have to give an account for their own actions. So that's the time, that's the place of the boasting. But then the content of the boasting for every believer on that final day, when you stand before the Lord and your works are assessed before the Lord, you will have a boast only in the works that he is prepared beforehand for you to walk in them. Your only boast on that day will be the fruit that the Spirit has borne in your life, 
It won't be your own works. So on that final day, here's what it is. On that final day, we will stand before the Lord. Our sin will be dealt with, crucified and nailed to the cross. We will bear it no more. On that final day, that will be true for us. But a final day, there will be an assessment of what did you do with the salvation that you had? What did you do with your life with what I gave you to do? What did you do with the works that I laid out before you to do? And on that day, no one else will stand for you. You will bear your own load on that day. Your pastor won't stand for you. Your church won't stand for you. Your husband, your wife won't stand for you. Only you can stand for you. On that day, you will bear your own load. So yes, our final and ultimate boast is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the boast of the Spirit-led person. But on that final day, we will bear our own load. The fourth thing that the Spirit-led person does is they share. Verse 6. Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. And what Paul does, this is kind of like Paul, at the end of his letters, it's like Paul with a machine gun. <laughs> Gives all these commands again and again, over and over again, to tell us and instruct us what you do. Restore, care, boast, share, verse 6. He gives one verse of instruction for what we are to do. And this is one of the reasons why we teach through books of the Bible and why we teach through verses of the Bible because it means even the awkward verses for me, I still have to teach them. It would not be my preference to teach verse 6. My personal preference would be to ignore verse 6. But I made a commitment a while ago. Here's the commitment I made. If the Bible talks about it, no matter how awkward, no matter how weird, no matter how awkward for me, we'll talk about it. And so that is what it says. That is the command it gives us. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. The one who teaches the word in the church is the pastors and elders of the church. They are primarily the ones who teach. Now in our church we want to see others trained up and teach as well, but the primary role is for the pastors and elders to teach in the church. And the key word to understand what this sharing that you're called to do, those who receive the word, is this word share. And it happens two other times in the scriptures, uh, more specifically, there's other times, but two other times in the scriptures, this word share. Romans chapter 12 verse 13 says this, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That word contribute is share. Share towards the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Or Philippians 4.15 says this, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership, sharing, giving, with me in giving and receiving, except you only. The sharing on both those occasions 
is that idea of financial giving. We are called to share all good things with those who teach us. We're called to give to those who teach us. And I'm just going to hide behind the scripture. 1 Timothy 5.17 says this. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Those who are taught are called to share all good things with those who teach. You're called actually to provide for that. Now you say, why? In this letter, would he say that? Because there's false teachers coming in and saying you need Jesus plus. Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus food laws. So here's what Paul is saying to them. You need to get your teachers, you need to get good teachers, and you need to help provide for those teachers so that they can spend hard time and hard work learning and studying and teaching you correct doctrine. It is good for you to do that. So then we need to ask this question. Why on earth do we have a box back there in this church? Why on earth do we have direct debit set up in this church? Why do we have a treasurer set up in this church? So that the church can do what the church is called to do. We have this place. We give toward the ministry of this church because this place costs something. Imagine that, it actually costs something to be in here. This place costs something. And so we give towards the Lord's work. And soon what we're praying about and and really thinking about, probably come September, we're going to be in a new building. And the new building, probably, I'm I'm saying going to be, you know, you just always say probably in Ireland, just probably, you know. I'm going to buy this house, yeah, probably. Um, In September, that might be the case. And the reality is, that place is going to be better than this place and probably cost more than this place. And we need people in the church that are giving towards the work of the church. We pray for our missionaries monthly, right? We put them up monthly because we want you to know that the giving that you have given to the church goes to them to spread the word. But also your giving goes towards those who teach the word. Now for me, you know, everything open for you this morning. For me, I'm employed by a group called Baptist Missions, right? And what we're doing as a church is saying, what we want to gradually happen is Shane to be taken off that and to be full-time here. And so that is what the church is moving towards in its giving. And that is a right thing to do. If I'm dead, if I die next week or whatever morbid thought I know, but I want you as a church to give to the one who's going to be teaching. I want you as a church to be ready to give to the one who is going to be teaching so that he can study hard, work hard at his craft, and then teach you well on Sunday mornings. That's what we're called to do. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. The spirit-led person shares and the spirit-led person sows. Verse seven, 
Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows in his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The Spirit-led person, they sow. They don't sow to the flesh, to their own desires. They sow to the Spirit. And this idea of sowing, usually people take it in general terms. So in general terms, you reap what you sow. Right? General terms. And so what can happen is, you know, you come to these verses and, and it calls us as God's people to sow to the Spirit. So I'm not sowing to my own desires in general. Here's what I'm called to do. I'm called to sow to the Spirit. I'm called to sow plant seed um, in terms of the, the, the gifts of the Spirit or the works of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That is how I am to sow. And I do think it is general. But then when you look at the context of the verses, if it's in terms of sharing then this reaping and sowing, reaping, sowing to the Spirit for eternal reward, I think it's actually talking about our practical giving. You reap what you sow. And of course, the prosperity gospel has absolutely destroyed this in saying you you inherit eternal life by sowing money. No, that is not. You are justified by faith alone and in Christ alone. But Jesus, I think, was right In Matthew, when Jesus was speaking in Matthew about what we do with our earthly treasures, Jesus says this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. In other words, what's he saying? Do not sow to the flesh. Do not build up treasures here. Do not build up massive bank accounts here. But, Jesus says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. What is Jesus saying? So to the Spirit. When we give financially, what we're doing, when we give financially to the church, what we're doing, Randy Alcorn will put it this way, is, is we're not keeping our money, we're sending it on ahead of us ourselves it is the best investment in the world to invest in eternity and not on this world and so that's what we're called to do in this sowing and reaping we're called to sow in this way and when we sow we inherit eternal life And this inheritance of eternal life, it is by faith alone in Christ alone, but we have an inheritance that is waiting for us. And what is the inheritance that is waiting for us? It is a person, it is place, and it is possessions. We will inherit the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I need to sow towards. We will inherit the place of heaven. That's what I need to sow towards. And we will inherit reward. The Scripture talks about the crown of righteousness. The Scripture talks about our possessions in heaven. 
Store up for yourselves, Jesus says, treasures there, not here. And part of how we do that is giving all that we have, our time, our talents, and our gifts, and our treasure to the Lord. Give all that you have to the Lord, so to him. And finally, the spirit-led person not only sows, but the spirit-led person does what is good. Verse nine, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. His summary of all that is this. Just do good. Don't do good to inherit eternal life. It is by faith alone and Christ alone. But we're called in response to the work of the Spirit in our lives to do good to each other. And guess what? Doing good is tiring. Because sometimes you will not get credit for it. And so sometimes we are weary of doing what we're supposed to do. We're tired of it. That's why marriage can be hard sometimes because it's tiring as a wife just thinking about my husband. It's weary doing good to another person. It's not so weary doing good to me, but it is more tiring thinking of another person. This is why I think husbands sometimes and fathers sometimes, we give up. Happy Father's Day, I'm going to give out to you. We give up because it's tiring thinking of other people. Thinking of my wife and thinking of my children. That, that's tiring for us. That's tiring for me. It's much easier to focus on me. In fact, that's where I'm bent every single morning I wake up. It is a fight. I want to think about Shane Dean. So I have to wake up and fight as led by the Spirit. And so I wake up and I say, Holy Spirit, help me to do good unto these people and help me not to grow weary. You know, because when husbands and fathers, we do something, you put the dishes away, we expect a clap. Well done, praise. And when we don't get praise, we, it gets weary, tiring. Don't grow weary of doing good. Not in your home and not in the church. Who are we seeking to please? Our Father who is in heaven. He sees everything. He sees every good work you do. He sees everything and he is pleased with you. And then it says at the end, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Where's your priority? In terms of doing good, I have, a, I have a tank of doing good, right? And that tank, it empties, right? So you have to decide, who am I going to spend this good on? I have to do good. I have to prioritize my time. Who am I going to do it to? The people in this room. That's where your priority should lie. And even... There, there's, there's kind of the, this extension, right? Doing good to everyone, then doing good to the household of faith, which is all Christians and believers. And then I do believe in the priority of 
the local church that you've decided to attend. It's doing good to the people here, which actually means you have to get to know the people here and invest in the people here. And so that's what I'd encourage you to do. This is what the Spirit-led life looks like. So let me read to you, just read to you, and two very quick observations about the conclusion of Galatians. Let me read. Verse 11 down to 18. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. This is all caps, right? It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God from now on. Let no one cause me to trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Two observations. How he writes and what he writes. How he writes. Verse 11. I love verse 11. This letter, Galatians, the letter to the Galatians, it starts differently than any other letter and it ends differently than any other letter. Paul, he would have an, an amanuensis, basically a scribe, who would write with a reed pen. You see, we think Paul wrote, when he wrote his letters, that Paul was in a quiet little room alone, you know, dark room, and, and the Spirit was just leading him and he was just going like that. That was not how it worked. He would have a scribe, they would be in a room, you'd probably have drafts of this letter. Yes, he was led by the Spirit, but he was led by the Spirit as most people are led by the Spirit through the personality that the Spirit has given him. So you read Paul's letters and you go, that's very Paul. But it was Paul as inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so what Paul would do, you'd imagine him kind of pacing up and down in the room. There would have been other people probably coming in and out. There would have been the scribe, this amanuensis, as he's calling out these, these words to him to write down. And so he's writing down these words. And then what does Paul do? At the end of some of his letters, he signs them. So at the end of 1 Corinthians, signs it. At the very end. The end of uh, to Thessalonians, he signs it. Colossians, he signs it. Philemon, he signs it. The end of Galatians, do you know what he does? He's pacing up and down and saying it. And he walks over to a scribe, give me that. I, Paul, see with what large letters I'm writing these things. So with the very conclusion, what Paul does is he hits the all caps letter thing and he says, I want them to know this. And so it's, he's repeating all the main themes that he's had throughout the letter. And that's how he writes. 
But then just seeing what he writes, one of the most significant things of what he writes, yes, he talks about circumcision like we've talked about. Yes, he talks about boasting. But just look at verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Give me that read pen. The only thing that counts is new creation. That's the only thing that counts. Not your religious practices, not what you wear, not where you, where you go to church. The thing that counts, the primary thing that counts is that you are a new creation. And Paul wrote these words in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The only thing that counts for us in life, brothers and sisters, is whether that new creation has happened. That's the most important thing. That's the conclusion that he wants to leave them with. Are you a new creation? That's what counts. It's not your, religious, your religiosity. It's not your acts. Are you a new creation? Because if you are, all these other things will flow from that. All your decisions, all the way you walk will flow from that because you'll have a new heart. That's the most important thing, a new creation. And that's the letter of Galatians. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for inspiring Paul to write it as he did. Lord, I pray that we would be a spirit-led church, led by the spirit to carry each other's burdens, led by the spirit to share, led by the spirit to good, do good to all, especially those who are in this church. Help us, Lord, to have that priority in our lives. And help us, Lord, to remember what really counts in life. It is the new creation. Praise the Lord that the old is gone and the new has come. In your precious name, amen. I want us